the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode number 638 for Sunday. Happy New Year, January 1st, 2017. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found with the goal of us each learning four new things each and every time we get together. Happy New Year, everyone. It is 2017, a year to, uh, I don't know, have smooth technology experiences everywhere, but uh, but we're here for you if you don't. And even if you do, we just want to make it better because that's a lot of what we do here too. sponsors for this episode actually include smile and the whole PDF pen family that we're going to get to talk about in a couple of minutes here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Ron. So I would ask you how your New Year's was, John, but uh, but we will, as we said last week, we will uh we will have recorded this a little bit early, a few days. Yeah, early, so. I, I was trying to wrestle with the uh, temporal uh, temporal uh, dissonance temporal uh, dissonance is that what I want to call it um, disparity temporal anomaly yes or, 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 temporal po- uh, uh, uh. podcasts are always a temporal anomaly though well, uh, everything is you know it's it's just rare for us to actively participate in it but uh, because generally we just say the date of when we recorded it as opposed to the day we released it because normally those two are perfectly in sync but uh, but that for the last few weeks that hasn't happened simply because of uh the various holidays and and other schedules and all that, but uh, so happy New Year to you, my friend. Uh, retroactively, I guess, right? No, um, in the future, going forward. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. I still remember one last year. I w- last week chuckle. I wished I wished John a Merry Christmas twice. No, no response. No, no wish. No wishes in return. Today, at least one Happy New Year. Nothing in return yet. I'm just keeping score. It's it's. Not, I don't feel anything by this. I'm not. I'm not hurt. I do remember this one Easter egg that was buried in a, a prior version of uh, Mac OS, or actually not even Mac OS, uh, even before that. But if you hovered over the QuickTime component, I found the uh, reference here. You hovered over the QuickTime component, it would say time, noun, a non-spatial continuum in which events occur in apparently irreversible succession from the past through the present to the future. Yeah. I thought that was cute. Yeah. Irreversible. That's what we say. So they claim. <laughs> so they say. All right, we've got um, we've got some great questions. We've we've got all kinds of great stuff. So let's uh, let's dig in, and we will start with Scott because why not? And uh, oh, I think I can find Scott. What have I done, John? I can't find Scott. Scott. He's lost. Scott asks. So my youngest son likes recording his Minecraft play. He is using QuickTime to record. However, he complains that this decreases his frames per second, his FPS rate, and he has a lot of lag. What do you think should be my first attack on this? Should I add more RAM? Should I use different software? If so, what? Should I switch uh, the hard drive to an SSD in the iMac? Or is there something I haven't thought of? Um, my guess is that this is a CPU issue. But it's worth monitoring the system to see. Uh, you can do this one of two ways. You can do it with Activity Monitor if there's a way to have Activity Monitor up on the screen while you're doing all the rest of this stuff. That's certainly the the simplest way. 
Uh, if you can't do that, then you could go into system preferences sharing and turn on uh, remote login, which then uh, would let you SSH into the uh, into that computer from another one. And then from the command line, you could run top and uh, top is essentially the same thing as um, as uh, as um, what do I call it? Um, as, as activity monitor. In fact, activity monitor is, is sort of the, the graphical version of top. Uh, I would do top space dash U because that will sort it by usage. So you can see the things using the most CPU floating to the top. It'll be kind of a, the first time you see a top display in the terminal, it'll be a little bit wonky, but, um, but you'll figure it out. It's, it's actually pretty, pretty straightforward, especially if you've seen activity monitor CPU display before. Um, so that would be, that would be where I would start. Um, and, and if you are doing it with activity monitor, you can look at both memory and disc easily there as well to see if it is that it's getting disc bound or Ram bound. Uh, my guess is that it's not. And that a test of the CPU it well in, um, in the, in the process will show you that it's just CPU, but I've been wrong before. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong this time. Um, QuickTime I have found to be one of the least efficient engines for grabbing a screen recording and, and, and especially with the symptoms that you're describing uh, a, a much better one, albeit not freely included with the OS is ScreenFlow. Uh, that's what I use to do all of my screen recordings. It's a fantastic piece of software makes it super easy. Once you run ScreenFlow, uh, it actually adds a shortcut. So normally command shift three, <clears throat> pardon me, lets you take a screenshot command shift four lets you take a uh, selection as a screenshot or a window Command shift two is the shortcut that ScreenFlow adds, and it lets you start doing a video recording of the screen. You get to pick what screen you're recording. You also get to pick what your sound source is. So you could have your sound source be the computer's audio. And in this case, that's probably what he wants. But uh, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he wants a microphone to be the audio that it captures so that it, uh, you know, so that he can talk his way through the recordings and, and that sort of thing. Um, ScreenFlow makes that very, 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 very simple and easy. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. You have any thoughts on this, John? Tons. Awesome. All right. So number one, you didn't tell us what type of machine this is. Depending on the type of machine, it's an iMac. Something, but he didn't say what what type of iMac. That's right. Okay. So one problem is that your GPU is just too wimpy, and I can't do all this stuff. So right. that's one problem. So time to buy another Mac with a better GPU. Um, if it was, though, people do run into this sort of problem. Now, if you do run into this sort of problem on a MacBook Pro, many MacBook Pros have not one, but two graphic chipsets. Uh, there's a neat little ditty here that I'm going to point to that's called GFX card status and it will tell you which one that you're using and even allow you to force the usage of one or the other. Now applications should activate the correct one and that there's actually a bit in an app saying hey I'd like high performance graphics if it's available um, but maybe that's not working sure. so that's if you did have a MacBook Pro so but I just wanted to help yeah. people learn things here yeah, of so course that, that is a way on a MacBook Pro to perhaps uh, deal with this situation another piece of software although it's dated Dave 
I've been using it for years and it actually has been updated for Sierra. So I'm going to mention it. And there is a free trial. And this is from our buddies at Ambrosia and it's called Snaps Pro X. Uh, huh. it's, it's not I cheap, had- but there is a, feel, a free trial. I, I still use Snaps Pro for doing screenshots. Um, it offers more capabilities than what's built into the OS as Interesting. far as options. Uh, but it also has a video capture mode. Yeah. I used so, to use uh, Snaps Pro uh, 10 for, for video capture, but um, but finally decided to move. It, having used both, I will say there is no comparison. ScreenFlow, <clears throat> not only does it have the capture engine, you can mm-hmm. actually, it's got a video editor in it. So you can mm-hmm. take your clips and build them and do transitions and take the audio from one, play it while another is playing over it and all that stuff. So, yes, uh, Snaps Pro 10 exists. And if you have it, then maybe that's the right answer. But for the price delta, I think Snaps Pro is 70 bucks and, and uh, ScreenFlow is 100. I, I, there's like for that extra 30 bucks, it's a it's a no brainer in my mind. Yeah, but they have a free trial. Yeah. So you can, yeah. you can try it. You can try both of them. Maybe right. it, it's doing something clever enough. Uh, one or the other does the screen capture in a clever enough fashion. So here here's the interesting thing, John. Andy in the chat room says that OBS uh studio is very popular with gamers to do exactly this. And it is available at a much better price than either ScreenFlow or snaps pro X snaps pro 10 because it's free and it's uh, it's right. available for windows, Mac or Linux. I've never heard of this before, but it seems like it's updated all the time. Uh, it's, it's very much geared toward the gamer community. So perhaps uh. this is exactly the right thing. Um, but uh, certainly that one's worth testing as well. Um, very cool. Or you Thank could you. manually mount a uh, video recorder and capture the screen that way. Well, you know, if you <laughs> if you wind up in a scenario where your machine isn't fast enough to do it all, that that would I mean, it's not perfect. <laughs> but I'll tell you, we have and it's it's not perfect for what your son wants to do. But uh, we have had many listeners take their iPhones out and shoot video of a problem that their Mac is exhibiting and just send us that video. And you know what? It, it, it's clear enough for us to completely, in most cases, understand what's going on. So, you know, that, that's not a terrible idea, John. Moving on from, uh, from Scott to Ron, Ron asked a question that somebody else had, has preemptively answered, but we just hadn't shared the answer. He says, uh, The information you gave a few shows ago about the difference between connections, USB-C and protocols, Thunderbolt, DisplayPort, etc., was helpful. But the whole topic is still quite confusing, or at least figuring out if I can use my old late 2009 iMac in target display mode with the new MacBook Pro with its USB-C ports is confusing. Says I purchased the Apple Thunderbolt 3 USB-C to Thunderbolt 2 adapter. This setup did not work. It didn't support mini DisplayPort. After several hours on the phone with Apple, I got disconnected twice. I finally took both machines to the Genius Bar at my local Apple store. The Genius found an article and the key sentence uh, on Apple's knowledge base says, note that although it uses a mini DisplayPort connector, the Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapter doesn't support consections. I don't even know what that word is. Connections to mini display port displays. And uh, he goes on to say that he has not found anything that will. The good news is that someone else has. 
Listener Dave P, not of our show, but of Allison Sheridan's Nozilla cast, did find this option because Allison needed the same thing. And at uh, at allsmartlife.com for $21.99, you can get their USB-C Type 2 mini display port adapter support 4K resolution for new Apple MacBook. Gray, not the best product name, but it does do the job. And for 22 bucks, you can't go wrong. So people have been using this and it does support the uh, mini display port. So, I, you know, hey. It works. Right. Speak, speaking of power, a little tangent here, but I were think we you'll talking find about power, Dave. I don't think we were talking about power, but that's okay. Well, we were. Well, the uh, uh, a connector that has the potential to carry power, among other things. Sure, right? I'll, I'll so. allow it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember you were you were talking about. So, so I checked out this uh, strip that I have, uh, uh, power strip that has some USB ports, and, and you were saying that they weren't that great. I found out why it wasn't that great, but I also found out something that I don't think we knew so i checked it so i have this program that i blame for something bad happening to my phone and it wasn't but when i plugged into those ports i think here's part of the problem dave those ports are 500 milliamps yeah i know we there's tested two usb ports yeah. and they're 500 milliamps but this program that i have on my iphone verified it and that it shows the power then i'm like you know i wonder if i have something else and I did. I had uh, the, the little brick that comes with the iPad, which is a 12 watt. Right. Which is 2.1. Okay, let's see. 12. No, it's a 12 watt. Yeah. Okay. So that's, is that right. 2.4? Correct. Okay. Got it. Thank that's you. five. All right. So DC, if you're doing DC power equals current times voltage. So five volts times 2.4 amps equals 12 watts. Right. I'm with you. I always yeah. thought yeah, I always no, thought that right. my iPhone I always thought that my iPhone was a 2.1 amp device, but it handled the two. It, it acknowledged the 2.4, which, yeah, is, which it, I just thought you'd find interesting. We God, I wish I could remember the formula. We had a listener send in something, and the rate at which a battery can charge is based upon the size of the battery in milliwatt hours. Um, so I I think it's. I feel like it was like a 10 to one kind of thing where uh, in order to charge at a full two amps, you needed a battery that had more than 2000 milliwatt hours of, mm -hmm. of capacity. Anything uh, slower than that would, would go m more slowly, you know, kind of in line, but the, you're right that your iPhones, uh, I think six and greater will charge faster okay. on a five, uh, uh, on a you know a ten or even twelve watt adapter than in, than they would on a five, so or they'll accept up to I believe uh, I don't I don't to, think they can yeah. I don't think they can take more than two point four amps but at least on the latest iPhone devices they they seem to be able to do that and of course the iPad I would yeah think they won't take if you on. put your little meter on it it won't actually like your iPad would take more well not your iPad because you just you sent too much power to it with your car but. <laughs> Um, but and I in general, an iPad will take the 2.4 and you'll see it flowing. Uh, your phone mm -hmm. will not. Your phone will max out, you know, quite a bit less than that, but more than, say, one milliwatt. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I got to find that formula. That's that's one I feel like we should have at our fingertips here so that we can mm -hmm. get that right as opposed to guessing and, and sending you on, down the, the an, an unspecified path. Not necessarily the wrong path, but unspecified. So thank you to... Um, 
Allison for having shared that with us at the beginning of the month and, uh, or at the beginning of last month, I should say. And, uh, and of course to her listener, Dave P for finding it as well. But, uh, it takes a village folks and we are happy to live in it. All right. Will, um, yeah, Will writes, let's see if I can find this here. I'm trying to find a solution to trigger my VPN client to either launch and connect or simply connect when I launch transmission or any other BitTorrent client. Of course, I can manually kick it off, but ideally I want to have it be able to connect and stay connected until a download and seeding is complete, then disconnect or close. I can't seem to find a solution to this. Do you have any ideas? Well, I, I think this is a, a perfect opportunity to share some advice that uh, that we all uh, need to need to live by. And I'm not going to share it, John, but I'm going to let uh, let one of our listeners take care of it. Don't get caught. Get caught. Get caught. Get caught. Yeah. So you definitely don't want to get caught. I don't know if you picked up on that in our little subtle hint there. However, your question is a valid one. There are certain things that you might want to do that trigger that for which you want a VPN, but you don't need it for everything else. Um, I did some digging and I feel like there should be a way to do this. And it seems like there used to be. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. Um, control plane is one of my favorite apps for triggering all sorts of things. And it can look at certain parameters like did an app launch or is a network share connected or is that printer visible or what, what's the name of my Wi-Fi network? And then it can trigger actions based on these conditions. One of the actions that it used to be able to do is start or stop a VPN connection. Sadly, that doesn't appear to be the case anymore, um, but it can fire off a uh, an Apple script. And I feel like with Apple script, you might be able to do some user interface scripting that does go in, launch that and turn on or off your uh, your VPN connection. Keyboard Maestro is another option for doing that keyboard maestro really is in terms of automating things on your Mac. It's, it's becoming a platform in and of itself. It's, it's really quite, uh, quite special. So those are, those are my two thoughts is, you know, you would start with control plane cause it's monitoring what's happening. And then you jump to, you know, a keyboard maestro or even just a, an Apple script uh, user interface scripting to see, uh, to see that through. Got any thoughts, John? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So, I found something. So, there was mention of it kind of working with AppleScript and not working and then working again. I'm yeah. going to go on the assumption that this is working and that, well, I'm going to, we're, at least for this question here, I, I would propose that we uh, post a link to a script that I found. I'm oh, sweet. Post it into our room here. Okay. Um, but here's what it requires you to do. So I actually started going down this path because I thought there may be a way to automate this. And then I found an Apple script that will. Okay. But you have to um, 
But it's kind of roundabout because what you have to do is you have to create a VPN connection. Sure. On the Mac. And that's not entirely straightforward. How no, to but you that. would need to do that with control plane in the past, too. I mean, you had to kind of have it oh, of course. existing. And I, and I think he does have it existing. He just he has the VPN client config all set up. He just needs to turn it on or turn it off. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure if the VPN client is a third party one or if it's the built in. If it's the built in one, then just very quickly, the way that you sure. create one of those in a network profile is you go to system preferences network. You're going to see that little plus sign in the lower left hand corner. If you click on that, you're going to get a number of interfaces. This is where, you know, it's kind of a minor fish shaker or a finger wag as far as the UI is that. It'll list all your ports, your Thunderbolt and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and Ethernet. But then below it is some other things. And one of them is VPN. Mm. So you choose that. And then you can choose the type and it lets you choose L2TP over IPsec, Cisco IPsec or IKEV2, which I don't even, right. that's a new one to me. Right. Um, yeah, but he's already got the this v- set up though, right? I mean, he said he can already turn his VPN, uh, VPN on and off manually. He just wants to automate this. Right. I just wanted to give people a quick tutorial on how to set that up. Once you do set that up, then you can in this Apple script, if you, if you look through the Apple script that I posted and we'll link to it in the notes, of course, it... um. You are taking elements of what's in that UI and basically saying, you you, you see what I'm, Mm -hmm. you see the script that I point Mm -hmm. out? So it's saying, okay, go to network preferences, open the thing that you just called VPN connection, see if it is connected. So that's a variable, but I I think this, this sample code here does a a good job to show how you would approach. Yeah. So this is, this is great that you found this because this is exactly what, what I was talking about. This is like UI ish scripting. I mean, it's actually better than UI scripting. If these, um, if these things exist still, these hooks exist because you don't have to quite do um, all of that, but but that's essentially what this is, is you're, you're telling it, all right, go to this field, type in this keystroke, you know, select this thing, and and that's and and that's kind of the way to get Apple Script to do things that aren't built to be scriptable. So yeah, oh, that's good stuff, man. And it looks like somebody created a Bash version of this too. If you look in the comments from July first, um, yeah, 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 because. Um, SCUtil, I think, is what it's using from the terminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is SCUtil? SCUtil is managed system configuration parameters, and one of the ones you can use with SCUtil is uh, VPN. So dash uh. NC status service VPN. Oh, look at this! You get to oh, you get to ask. So you put the name of your VPN in, just like you said, you get, you go to your, um, so this is in this link, but it's all the way at the bottom from Oliver J. Ash on, on July 1st. It's like a, what, six line, seven line bash script. Uh, you could take Apple script completely out of the equation because there is this command line utility. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that, uh, you put the name of your VPN in as you just find it in the, you know, in the, um, in system preferences there. And then, and then the rest of the script sort of, runs it it looks at the status of this if it's connected it doesn't do anything um oh actually it does it it it's a toggle is what it is it will turn it off if it's on and on if it's off so this is exactly what you want um mm-hmm. or you could you could you could enhance this script to, to to make it you know even more robust you could make one 
that's just on and one that's just off by grabbing the lines. Um, and I realize we're talking about something that you aren't necessarily seeing, but if you go here, there's a line that says SCUtil dash dash NC space stop and then the name of the VPN and then another one that says dash dash NC space start and the name of the VPN. That's all you would need in your bash script to turn these on and off. So you could have a script that's just on and one that's off and then you could let your control plane uh, thing pick which one to run. Nice. Yes. Yes. And actually, you know, addressing some questions in the chat room, uh, you know, I, I humorously or maybe not so humorously played the don't don't get caught uh, sound. And, and certainly there is the implication that any use of BitTorrent is bad. And unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that's the 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 take that some ISPs were taking for a while is they were filtering out all of that stuff. And that could certainly be true. Um, not necessarily for an ISP because I think they're sort of blocked from doing that now. But uh, if you're in a, you know, a, an otherwise managed network, certainly BitTorrent traffic could just be blocked in its entirety, regardless of what you're using it for. And there are plenty of good uses for BitTorrent traffic as well. I mean, I'm a fan of live music and I use, you know, BitTorrent to trade available tapes like things that aren't illegal they're not tapes they're not called tapes anymore but you know <laughs> concerts <laughs> and uh, and BitTorrent's a great way to do that um, but if your BitTorrent traffic is just summarily blocked then using a VPN to sort of get around that block is the way to do that so um, anyway there we uh, there we go fun stuff I like these little detours of uh, of, of varied geekiness it's good stuff. All right. Uh, last one, I think. Do I have? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Right. Okay. All right. We'll get into the tips later. There's a tip I just can't wait to share, but but I have to wait. We've got an agenda and I must follow it. <laughs> uh, Eric. We'll go to Eric here. Eric writes. He says, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I have a question if Synology can sync from other computers back to your hard drive. Now that transporters discontinued, I'm looking for options. I have a small business and use the transporter to sync folders from other computers, not in the office. Can Synology do this also? Yeah, it, it totally can. This is exactly what Synology's cloud station does. Um, you set up cloud station server on your, um, on your disk station. That's in the packages app on your Synology disk station. And then from there, it'll even have the download links, but you could get them, you know, directly from Synology.com. If you want, you will download cloud station on either your Mac, your windows machine, uh, your Android device, your iOS device, whatever it is, they've got, uh, you know, cloud station clients for all of these. And you just point them at your disk station. And if you do it via the Synology quick connect methodology, then uh, it, in most cases, you're just able to connect from anywhere, not just your home network. So in your case, you would put uh, the cloud station app on these remote machines, point it at your disk stations, you know, quick connect name that will traverse your firewalls, assuming everything is set up correctly. And uh, and it just sort of works. And to be honest, cloud station, when I first tried it a couple of years ago, it worked, but it was sort of flaky and kind of kludgy, or at least it felt that way. Now it is in my opinion, the most robust file syncing app that I use on my Mac. It, it just works. It's got a great UI to show me what files it synced recently. Uh, it's smooth. It doesn't eat up my processor all the time. Like Dropbox seems to want to, 
It's just, it really is like the best experience I've ever had syncing files. And it has the added benefit of being totally private because I store all of my data and you can do it with HTTPS and all of that great stuff. So yeah, it'll work. Highly recommend it. If you've got a Synology, the, the, it's free from there. I mean, obviously you have to have the disk station, but I believe it works with every model disk station, including the, the you know, the least expensive ones in the product line. And, uh, and it just works. So there you go. Yeah. Thoughts on that, John? None. Nada. None. Synology's it, man. Yeah, they're, they, they've really focused... Um, and and this is not a well, new I will focus. Say they're, Go ahead. They're, uh, and you know what? We'll we'll see solutions at, at uh, CES. I'm sure. I mean, there are other people that offer you know cloud ish products like this. Well, totally. I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, like WD has a whole series of uh, cloudy. I'll call it. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I'm not saying Synology is the only solution, but they. I mean, you know, they they if if something's available, it's in all likelihood going to be as, as you're going to discuss shortly, it's going to be available for the Synology. Yeah. Well, and it just, it, what I, what I really have come to like about the Synology stuff. And we talk about it a lot here is how much they care about user experience, not just for their web UI, which is awesome. And I've heard people in, including geeks say it, it's, there's too much to it. I don't know what to do. I totally agree. You kind of have to pick an avenue and just do that and then do another thing. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about one of those things in, in a minute here that I, a new thing that I've done with it, because there's just so many layers to the onion, so many options. But um, really, they, they, they've spent a lot of their time in the last couple of years being concerned about the client device experience. And, and that, you know, CloudStation is a great example of that because it really just works. So anyway, that's... Um, that's what I have for that for now, John. Yeah, the one I'm thinking of, and I don't know if either of us have really tried it, but but the one that comes to mind, and that you know they keep mentioning it, and I'll get a short demo, but I, I really haven't dug in. Would be uh, uh, MyCloud. WD has a series of products. I've used it for this MyCloud thing. I've, I've, I, think I have one. It's not good. It's, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't like it. I, I mean, it it's because it's 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 very, um, it, it's. It's it's wonky. It's it's really the okay. best. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they claim to offer the same set of features, right? It, Private it, cloud storage. They, they, it's right, feature by feature. You go down the list, mm -hmm. and it's like yes, yes, yes. But okay. but the attention paid to the user experience, um, and it's I, to be fair, it's been mm, not that long, but maybe six months since I've tested mm -hmm. um, my cloud. I, I just didn't. It was like, no, this isn't a Mac experience for me. This doesn't okay. feel like it was written by people that use Max every day. Now, I don't know okay. if the Synology folks okay. use Max every not every day or not, but it feels like it was written by people that aren't, which is good. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 But that's my opinion. What do I know? Yeah. Um, I know what I know. I am what I am. There's an Edie Brickell song in there somewhere, but, uh, but instead of going all, all Edie Brickell on you folks, I would like to tell you about our first sponsor. And that sponsor is smile. Smilesoftware.com slash geek is where you can go anytime to learn about what they have set up for us to tell you. And this month, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's the PDF pen family. And I'm, I'm glad they think of this as a family because it really, uh, there's so many apps that they offer, but I, I kind of think of them as, as one thing as a, again, as a user, 
they're all sort of tied together. Um, I use PDF pen scan plus on my iPhone all the time. And, uh, and I just recently used it for a, uh, a, another theater show that I had to do. Now this one was different because I went and I was subbing for another drummer. So I didn't, I, I wasn't given the book ahead of time. Um, I went actually to sit and watch a show. And before that show started, I, I asked George the drummer, I said, can I take that book? And I went out to the lobby where it was nice and sunny and bright. And in five minutes with PDF scan plus, I was able to scan this 105 page book into my iPhone as a PDF. And then from there, I put it into whatever software I use to, you know, manage my, my onstage antics and, and all of that. But I was able to very, very quickly grab a copy of this thing. It doesn't make me hit the, the shutter button or anything. I just aim it. It finds the page, crops it, takes a picture, flip, crops it, takes a picture. And the nice part is I could tell it in this instance, only I only want black and white. So don't give me grayscale. Don't certainly don't give me color. And not only do that, does that make the file bigger, but for this type of stuff, it makes it harder to read. I want high contrast, black or white, nothing in between. And it just did that. So I didn't have to spend any time massaging it. But if I did need to massage it, that's what PDF pen is for. And you can take stuff from scan plus and put it directly into PDF pen for iPad or iPhone. And then that would sync via the iCloud, the iCloud, iCloud uh, to PDF pen for Mac OS. So you've got this whole family that you can like pull in PDFs, create PDFs, massage PDFs, redact things, hide things, edit text on PDFs. Yes, you heard me right. It's pretty awesome. And you got to check it out. So visit smilesoftware.com slash geek and start your foray into the PDF pen family. Start with whichever product makes the most sense for you. And I guarantee you, you'll love what you're doing and you're going to want more. And that's what Smile wants to. Smile knows this. They make software that you're going to want to use. And so you want to use it. And that's how it works. Smilesoftware.com slash geek are thanks to Smile for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, we've got some tips. I told you I was happy about tips. Uh, the first one will, uh, will, let's see, we'll go to Chuck because we had a great little tip from Chuck with regards to, uh, was it last week's episode? Yeah. Last week's episode six thirty seven. Chuck says, uh, I didn't know that there was a, that the box with the upward arrow was called the action menu. I always called it the sharing menu. I think it probably is the sharing menu, uh, but either one, because it does have more than just sharing It has actions. Uh, he says, but request desktop site can be found another way too. He said it, it's available if you hold and touch and hold the refresh icon in the address bar of a web page, it will come up and allow you to request the desktop site. So you don't even have to jump to the share menu to do this. And he's right. It's been there for a long time. I totally forgot about it uh, until his email came in. And then it was like, oh, yeah. So if you want to request the desktop site of any uh, site that you're on, hold down on that refresh icon and boom, up it comes. So thanks for the tip. I appreciate that one, Chuck. Now one of my, this, this leads into one of my favorite tips. You, you have any thoughts on that before we go to Bill here, John? Huh, I'll try that. Yeah, I know. I love it when we learn stuff. I love this one too. So Bill writes, he says, uh, in the discussion about putting iTunes media library on a NAS last week, the question came up as to what will happen if the NAS is not available when iTunes opens. The answer is that iTunes will create and switch to the default media folder 
home music, iTunes, iTunes media, and it will not give you any notice. From then on, it will put new media in this folder rather than the NAS, and you will have to use the consolidate library menu option to put everything back where it belongs once you remount and repoint at the NAS. To avoid this problem, I use three macros in Keyboard Maestro. Here it comes again, Keyboard Maestro. Two macros either launch or quit iTunes when the NAS is mounted. Thus, iTunes should never be running unless the NAS is also mounted. Unfortunately, there are times when this strategy simply fails. So a third macro monitors that default media folder, again, home, music, iTunes, iTunes media, for any additions to it. When iTunes switches to the default media folder, it creates some new items automatically, which triggers the macro and sends me an alert to change the media folder setting, which I really, really like. But Sean, his thought, his email started me thinking. So this is a great solution, by the way. Uh, awesome. And thank you for, for not only telling us what happens, but how you... Uh, how you work around it. This got me to thinking and lamenting the loss in Mac OS Sierra of the ability to mount network shares without user interaction that we've talked about, John. And guess what? As Bill mentions in one quick little line at the end of his email, our long nightmare is over. Network volumes seem to mount automatically again in Sierra 10.12.2. And he is totally right. Oh, they fixed it. They fixed it. Yeah. They broke it and then they fixed it. So for for a while they were saying, well, that's, uh, we think that's intentional behavior, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, We meant it to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So this is, to me, this is a big deal uh, because it, it allows me to sort of, you know, re-embrace this workflow that I had where things just mount when they're, when they're supposed to and, or when I want them to and, uh, and at startup and I can, I'm back to being able to rely on control plane to mount things when my computer wakes up so I can let my computer go to sleep again. This is all very, very good stuff. So, um, to address something, cause I, I've heard this from others. Brian Monroe uh, says about the whole concept of, of, of this. He says, this is why people just need to use Apple music and be done with it. Using a NAS to hold your iTunes media is not stable enough. Um, well, yes. I mean, as as uh, listener Bill points out, there there are caveats with this and, and major issues. And I agree that it can be wonky. And I've stopped storing my main library. I sync it to a NAS, but uh, I have it on an external drive, which isn't always possible, especially on a portable machine. But um, but there is the need still, even using Apple Music, for those of us that have large uh, music libraries. There's still the need to store this music library locally somewhere. Uh, especially if you've got lossless files in your music library, because when those are synced to Apple music, they are synced at iTunes plus, which is, you know, the 256 K AAC, very, very good quality for most songs. Even an audio maniac can't tell the difference, but for some, you certainly can. So, um, so I, I don't, I don't know that there's that Apple music is just the, the, the switch you can flip and and forget about all of it. Uh, It certainly makes it easier, but I don't think it's all quite there. You ready to move on to James here, John? I am ready. Okay. James, with a nice little quick tip, he says, uh, we lived in a suburb, we have lived in a suburb of the Twin twin Cities for a long time, and for the first time yesterday, we had deer in our cul-de-sac. When I tried to take a picture of them with my iPhone 7, the screen was black instead of showing the deer. Thinking I needed to see the deer on the screen in order to take the picture, I tried numerous things but could not get them to appear. 
I finally restarted my phone and a scene appeared as expected. But as you can probably guess, the deer had already left. I did some Googling and found that this has happened to others. And for the most part, the only solution was to restart the phone. One thing I did learn, though, is that even though the screen was black, if you aim at the scene and take the picture, it does take a picture. I proved this to be true when I found a selfie I had accidentally taken while trying to fix the problem. I thought your listeners might like to know that being able to take a picture if they, with a black screen, if they ever encounter this, is totally possible. Uh, by the way, this is not new, he says, or not certainly not limited to the iPhone 7, and I can agree with that. I have seen this happen not often, but a handful of times over the past few years with, with various, uh, you know, iOS devices. Yeah, sometimes the, it just the doesn't show up. It's probably, you know, there's probably some software, you know, almost hardware tunnel between the camera and the screen that, that needs to exist and the driver needs to be in the right state. And if the driver's not in the right state, then you just get black. I've had something similar happen. Yep. And I don't know if, yeah, I think it may have been a, a bug in the camera app or in the OS. I don't sure. know, but I would bring up the camera and I wouldn't see black, but what I would see is a extremely blurred image and then it would like blur and then the blur would change a little bit. It was almost like the camera was desperately trying to focus on something that was in hyperspace. It, it just, it wasn't getting it. And the way huh. that I fixed it was, so when you, when you start camera, normally it starts in camera mode. And actually the way I found to the quickest way to fix it was to either swipe. Well, I swiped right and it changed the camera to video mode and then swipe back to photo. And then everything was great. It's almost like turning it on and off. Huh? Again. Yeah. Resetting that, 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 whatever that software hardware tunnel is. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, go into video mode and then go back into camera mode. And it's like, oh, okay. Everything's great. Oh yeah. I wonder if that would solve the black screen issue too. I bet it might. I bet it I, might. Uh, I found, and it's one of the few times that the camera came up in a state that I didn't expect, mm. or it came up in a state where I saw it was definitely not what the camera was supposed to be seeing. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right, John. Um, I feel like while we're here, I want to go through our cool stuff found for the week as well. And then, and then we've got some questions we can come back to. How's that sound? Sure. Okay, cool. Uh, Jim has a good one. Listener Jim writes, I just upgraded to Sierra and suddenly an annoying problem returned. The loud startup sound. I used to have a third party app that shut that down, but it no longer works. So I did some digging and found this shell script over at GitHub. I think that's the third mention of GitHub that we've had this show. Uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Of course, he says, apparently the old methods no longer work. So the approach now is to activate mute on shutdown and restore the previous sound setting on startup. All I know is it works and I can now fire up the iMac at 5 a.m. without waking my wife. And as they say, that means... Happy days are here again. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, this is, uh, this is good. Yeah, it, it's, I don't, I've never understood why there's, there's not a, an officially supported system wide way to say, I don't want the startup sound. It's crazy. Um, Cause you could have your iMac plugged into external speakers, right? And you could turn off the external speakers. But my experience is the startup sound always happens on the internal speakers. It's crazy. It's crazy. It is. It's nuts. All right. So thank you for that, Jim. Uh, one that, because we've talked so much about these kinds of things, Steve brings us back 
to a Cool Stuff Found, a CSFR, I like to call them, Cool Stuff Found reprise. He says, uh, this is one I cannot live without for too long. And if you've never tried it, don't, as you won't go away. And it's called Pop Clip. He calls it one of his must-have apps for the Mac. Basically, this app shows contextual pop-up menus similar to what you have on iOS when something is selected. Select text and you can act on it directly from the pop-up bar. There's also a lot of add-ons that you can add uh, as you need them from pilotmoon.com slash popclip. He says, for example, one, I'm one of these people uh, not wanting to install Flash on my Mac. I just hate it when I open a URL in Safari that requires Flash. I select it and click on the Chrome icon, and this is where the play page will display in fa- Flash as it should. Well, for a little while anyway, until Chrome takes that out. But yeah, uh, very cool stuff. I, uh, I agree. I like pop clips of one of those. It's a, it's a cool, you know, I, I have tried it. I've never, um, I guess I, I do more selecting with my keyboard. I don't know. I, it, it, it doesn't, I, I see it. I like it. I get why people would use it. It's just not one that sticks for me, but, uh, but there you go. Everybody in the chat room saying, uh, at chat room at Mac slash stream, by the way, thank you folks. Uh, everybody there is saying how they love pop clip too. So, Good, good stuff. Do you use PopClip, John? Nope. You could. You're allowed. It's, you know, you're allowed. Zach says, uh, while you, John, are allowed to use PopClip, other people are not allowed to call him, especially not if they're not human. He says, uh, if you get too many junk calls on your home or iPhone, no more robo might be helpful. Uh, and it's at nomorobo.com. It's free for your um, your your landline, or I should say your VoIP line. It doesn't work on landlines, but it does work <gasps> on your VoIP line. Well, the way that it works is very interesting. So they ha- and they have an app for the iPhone that I think is uh, twenty bucks a year or two dollars a month after a thirty day free trial. It, it you because um, I, I set it up with my Comcast account. What you do is you go into your Comcast account and add the phone number that Nomo Robo gives you as one of your alternate ring options. So anytime my phone rings here, it's also ringing Nomo Robo. And if Nomo Robo sees that it is a, uh, you know, is in their database of, of bad actors or whatever, they answer the call before it ever really rings here. And then I don't have to mm-hmm. deal with it. So that's how that works. So there you go. No more robo. All right. Well, it's a good thing. But yeah, I don't think it works with traditional landlines. You're still a traditional landline guy, right, John? Believe it or not. Believe it or else you're walking on air. Yeah, it's a, it was AT&T. Now it's a frontier, but uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Just a basic landline with, uh, with no extra features is like 20 bucks a month. Yeah. I wonder if it'd be cheaper for you to do, because we had the same thing for a long time. Yes, they have the triple play, the optimum, and they keep it. They actually stop, you know, sending me mailings like every okay. day. Sure. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know you got the. I know. I mean, yeah. I mean, my, my, the Doxis 3 modem that they gave me is actually capable. It has a uh, oh. phone port on it. Yeah. All right. I think, it, it, yeah, so if I activated it, I don't think I'd have to do anything different. I'd just, well, I would have to add a battery because the, the one thing on its status screen that it complains about is it doesn't have a battery because I don't believe a battery is needed for modem usage. But for phone, 
you're supposed to have a battery you're in there, right? You're supposed to. Uh, I noticed the other day when I was at my dad's place that he does not, his his unit does not have a battery. And actually, you know what? <laughs> I don't know why I thought about my dad's house. I don't have a battery in mine here either. My, uh, my. But I think in theory, even if the power goes out, it should be able to operate as a phone device because the battery's in there. Is that, is that... If, if a battery is in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But, and mine, like all of the... Uh, I, I think all of the, the telephony modems are like yours. They have a, a place to put a battery in, but, um, but uh, I, I don't, I don't think Comcast is shipping them with batteries anymore. Mine, I bought separately, but my dad didn't, he got his from Comcast, no battery. And my previous one I yeah. had from Comcast, no battery. It just reminds me because if you look at the Doxis status screen for this thing on one of the screens for error messages, it's like, uh, no, yeah, no battery. Sh- basically every second it's like, yep, no battery, no battery. Yeah. No by battery. the way, no battery. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, guess what? I'm, I'm glad that's the only place. Still it- no battery. <laughs> John, John, no battery. Right. Um, no battery. The, uh, but you might be able to save some money doing the triple play thing. We certainly did. And that's why we moved to it. The phone essentially became free, uh, moving to triple play. And that's another, while we're in cool stuff found here and we're being a little hyper and crazy, that's the um, call your cable company every six months uh, and ask them about deals for whatever you have. Because Lisa, we do, we just have it routinely. I've got it on the calendar. And uh, Lisa was the one that did the call most recently, just earlier this month. And we were locked in on our pricing until July or whatever. And by and then in July, we would have gotten screwed because they, you know, they just raise your price um, and don't change anything else for you. But which is why we do this every six months. And uh, she said, yeah, we were locked into our pricing, but uh, there was some new package that they rolled this into. Couldn't get it any cheaper. So same price, same Internet speed. That's always the most important. Never go slower. Um, Same Internet speed, same TV package, except they're also going to add Showtime and Cinemax and stars and like, you know, all these other channels. I was like, "Okay, that's great, I guess. I mean, sure. If, if yeah. we got to pay, we might as well get just pay. Yeah. So. Or what some people tell me is you just, it, just say something that, that gets them to send you right over to customer retention. Like, oh, that's uh, right. I quit. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, whoa. And, and you basically get hooked up to a specialist whose job is to make sure you do not leave. Yes. Correct. Correct. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And typically they do that by charging you less or offering you. I, I think they prefer to try to give you supposed freebies like extra channels like, rather than like actually they, lowering your price. Like they but, just did for us. That's right. Yeah. 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 But it's worth calling because they whatever price they give you, at least my, our experience with Comcast is that you will get that for a fixed period of time after which, you know, it this quote unquote discounted rate that you have now goes up. It skyrockets, you know, so you just got to stay ahead of that because they certainly won't. Yeah. I found this also applies and yeah. then we'll move on. But it oh, also apply, applies for some financial products as well. Like I think the other day I noticed I had a charge that it was kind of my fault. But sure. It really wasn't. So I call and I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been a customer for, you know, I mean, they can see it's like, yeah, I've been a customer for like, you know, decades and, uh, and there's this charge. Can you fix that? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just took it off. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> or, you yeah. know, hey, can you give me a better rate? Or can you give me this? Can you give me um, Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because they hate losing customers. It's terrible. They do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So can't hurt to ask. Well, maybe it could. Um, probably in this not. case, no. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> when you're negotiating uh, something involving money, yeah, it never hurts to ask. Never no, that's right. 
So, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about all kinds of smart home stuff. I have no doubt that next week when you and I are at CES, John, we're going to see, you know, tons of these things. And so uh, I was like, you know, I really want to get home kit like working at my house. But the problem is I have absolutely zero smart home devices that are HomeKit compatible. And this is sort of the problem with HomeKit, right? And we're not going to go into too deep of a rant. We've got a, there's, there's a better solution here that we've talked about before, but uh, I've never been able to set it up the way I want. And, and that's something called HomeBridge. HomeBridge is an open source project that someone built that runs on a, a thing called Node.js. You can install this on your Mac. Uh, and it's very lightweight, uh, but it does need to be running all the time. And what HomeBridge does is it is the bridge between HomeKit. It advertises itself as a HomeKit bridge and HomeKit happily sees it and attaches to it and is all happy. And then using plugins, you get to pick what of your non HomeKit smart home devices you want to attach to this thing. And it really works. It's a little geeky. I'm not going to lie to you, um, but it's really not that difficult to set up. And once you get it working, you sort of leave it alone until you add a new device that's not HomeKit compatible. And then you have to add its plug into HomeBridge and then you're sort of done again. Um, I've always wanted because, as I said, it has to run all the time. I've always wanted to run it on my Synology disk station uh, because that is on all the time. And I don't want to have to leave one of my Macs on all the time, even though sometimes I do. Uh, Synology introduced something called Docker a couple of years ago and about six months ago the implementation of it got a lot better. Docker is a very lightweight virtualization environment, right? Uh, So that you can install things like this without them actually being installed in the normal root world of your disk station. So Docker lets you create a container that inside of it, you kind of store an entirely self-contained operating system that does, you know, one thing. And you can have multiple containers running in in Docker all the time. And that's sort of the point. Very lightweight, low RAM usage. They only use the CPU that that they need to use, you know, and they sort of run self-contained. And then that way, when you upgrade your Synology's operating system, it doesn't just like totally foobar whatever else you have running because, you know, Synology doesn't know that you have all these things running. And that's what Docker's for. And Synology made Docker a lot better back in July with, with DSM 602 because they let Docker containers see the entire network easily. So I found some instructions. If you are a Synology user and you want to do this HomeKit thing with HomeBridge, uh, I found some instructions on GitHub that walk you through start to finish very, very easily creating this HomeBridge setup on your, uh, on your, on your Synology inside of a Docker container. It gets you the whole thing and I'll put those links in the show notes. So it's fun stuff. If you don't have a Synology, you can do, you can run Docker on your Mac too. That, that totally works. And you can do exactly the same thing, or you can just run this on your Mac through uh, NPM node package, node package manager and do it that way too. Um, whatever you want. So if you have a Mac mini that's on all the time, that's an even better way to do it. So fun stuff though, John, have you messed with Homebridge at all? I tried exactly what you did one time. And I think we, yeah, I think we we had a, a prior show where yeah. I came up with, 
well, why don't I try running it in a Docker thing? And everybody said, that's crazy talk. Right. And the thing is, actually, one was recommended to me, but uh, in some cases, I'm not a very patient man. Uh And I basically downloaded the implementation that had the most stars and I ran it and I'm like, it was uh, awful. Yes. It's not doing anything. I know. Well, no, I didn't get a UI. I didn't even get an indication something was happening. I'm like, what's going on here? Right. Because you, you had to fiddle with, uh, either I didn't see the well-written instructions or they didn't exist because it was beyond me how to get this thing to work. I, sure. I just expect to turn it on and voila, Homebridge. Yeah, and, there's a little bit, that, that that's way. not quite the way. Yeah, it, that, that's just <laughs> not how how Homebridge works. But, <clears throat> but these instructions that I put in from Marco Adits, um, I, I will note that as of, well, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. As of this very moment that we are recording this, which mm-hmm. uh, officially is Friday the 30th, it is running a two month old version of Homebridge inside of his Docker container. But he huh. said yesterday that he is up. He's going to push something out, you know, tomorrow, which would be today. But we've, we're living in this whole world temporal thing. Probably by the time you've listened to this, that has been remedied. Most of the plugins don't care what version of, of Homebridge you're running. Uh, but there's one or two like, uh, you know, for Philips Hue bulbs, which you might not even need the plugin because most of those are compatible anyway. But um, like a couple of the plugins require, you know, the very, very latest version. And, and so you, you just can't run those yet, but probably you can now. So anyway, it's cool stuff, uh, you know, makes it fun. I don't know. I like this stuff, John. Docker's a Docker's a fun little thing. And I've got a couple things running it now. I totally understand it. Um, but it, it took, it probably took, well, getting, um, getting this one set up didn't take very long at all. Less than an hour. And it's pretty easy because it, because his instructions are so clear. So anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the, uh, 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 alternative, which yes. The Amazon alternative. Yes. I, I yeah. use, Oh yeah. It all, me too. And I have them running in parallel. I mean, I can do, I can control the same devices with, home kit as I can with, you know, the, the Amazon echo uh, devices. So though it, personally between us, uh, maybe I'll whisper here, but when I said the word Alexa, it didn't wake her up. Oh yeah. That's right. Don't say that. That's right. <laughs> we can't avoid it. Come I on. know it's hard. Tell yeah. her to settle down or turn her off or something. That's right. <clears throat> can All you right. give her a voice command to shut down? Uh, I know you can hit the mute button on it. I don't know. Oh, oh, you can act. Okay. That's what the microphone button is on the top of your echo units is, is the, um, it's just a, yeah, you can, if you, when, when you hit it, it, the ring turns red. So you know that it's not listening. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I like the ring, the ring. Yeah. The uh, ring's good. Yeah. I like that. It I don't points like it when you. Uh, the only thing I don't like is that I've had situations where I've asked for something and I'll see the ring, you know, show like thinking and yeah. then nothing happens. Yeah. Sometimes she'll say, I don't understand what you asked me to do, but sometimes I, I just get zilch. Right. Right. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's pretty good because the, um, it, you know, the thing that I'm liking about using HomeKit is that, uh, because I have an Apple TV at home, I can do automation. Right. And it's kind of got its own version of if this, then that sort of running, like, you know, you can set up things like if this sensor detects X, then you can trigger, you know, Y and Z or whatever you want. And, and that's actually pretty cool. Oh, and the, okay. you know, the Amazon world doesn't, doesn't do that natively. You can do it with Ift, right? And, and Ift is another service that just rocks. So Yeah, Wink, the, the Wink app and I think the Nest app also have very basic scripting abilities. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it's cool stuff. It's worth it's worth playing with. Obviously, you can tell that John and I are into it. So, and many of you are too. So we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with it this year. All right. Uh, the last thing on cool stuff found comes from listener Ben. He says, uh, "I wanted to chime in with an AirPod alternative that I've been using for months now. It's called the Gonovate, G-O-N-O-V-A-T-E, and he's using the Gonovate 10. Says it's only 20 bucks and it works great with my iPhone. It's only mono. It's a single earbud, but it's perfect for listening to podcasts while I run. I really dislike the way the AirPods look and won't get them based on looks alone. The Gonovate is more discreet and at 20 bucks, well worth the price. Battery life is about five hours and they recharge very quickly. It stays secure in my ear while I run. He says, I have the Gonovate 10, but the, or the G10, they call it. But uh, he says the G8 recently came out and that has a magnetic charger which uh, which people might like. So we will uh, we will put a link to this in the show notes because that's uh, that's what we do. This sounds any and I asked him, I said, how does music sound on it? And he says, of course, it's mono. So you have to sort of buy that going in. But um, but he says the sound is full. It's got a speakerphone in it so you can use it uh, to talk. And it is tiny the way it fits into your into your ear. So uh, very, very cool stuff. I love it when we when we can find these things. Very, very cool, cool stuff. What am I doing here? All right. All right, John. So I think we, uh, we have a few questions that we have time for. If, uh, if you like, we can, uh, we can go to, let's go to, let's go to Bob here and then we'll kind of cycle through. Bob asks, he says, I'm sure you've covered this before, but can you give me some guidance on setting up a second iPhone for my wife? She's transitioning to the modern world, giving up the flip phone for an iPhone, not quite kicking and screaming, but I want to make it very easy for her. Number one, I assume we should, and we'll kind of go through these one by one. Bob says, I assume we should set up a separate iCloud account for her with a new email so she can have separate text messages, etc. Absolutely. Uh, life gets really wonky when you use the same iCloud account for multiple people. You should see, you, it should be one iCloud account per person. And if one person has multiple devices, then all of those devices signed into that person's iCloud account. Um, it, there, there are scenarios where it can be argued that two people or more should share an iCloud account. There are less and less of those now uh, as Apple has kind of made more and more strides into the multi-user, multi or the family concept. But um, and it, it, but I don't think it's worth the headache. Um, he says we want to have all our photos. Do you have any thoughts on? I, I know you're not a multi-user family, John. So I, I I skipped right on to the next thing. But do you have any thoughts on that before I do? No, you're absolutely correct in that. Okay. I'm just me. So you're right. Right. I haven't had to go through this, but uh, right. Uh, although so far it sounds I will, like everything you said makes sense. I will say this: um, you get to have six people in your family. I have added, so we have the four of us in our house, and then uh, I added my dad and his wife. So that they now get Apple Music uh, essentially for free, no no additional cost because we were already paying for family plan with Apple Music. They also get, and we all get, access to the apps that all of us have purchased. So once you're in a family plan, app purchases, not in-app purchases, hmm. but app purchases are shared. It's a little weird. Like if, if my son buys a game, and then I go to download that game just straight in the store. It'll show me the price. It won't show me that I, that I already have it. But uh, as soon as I tell it, yes, go buy this game, it'll say, oh, you don't need to pay. Somebody else in your family already did. Um, if I don't want to, if I'm not comfortable with, with that path, 
I can go into purchases and choose, in this case, my son's purchases, and then I can go get it from his purchases. As soon as I do that, it kind of adds it to my account. And then that's that. So, um, but yeah, so there's an argument to be made that like, you know, you, your mom, your dad, your sister, you know, that like you, the extended family in the family plan, as long as you can keep it to six or less can make a lot of sense. So anyway, um, he says, we want to have all our photos on the Apple photos app on our shared Mac, which is under my iCloud account in only one library. So I was planning to put the photo sync app on her phone and auto download any folder photos to her folder in Dropbox, then use Hazel on the iMac to put photos from her Dropbox folder into the photos app library on the iMac. I suspect she will not be able to view all the photos on her phone, uh, only the ones that she has taken, but that's okay. She prefers to use the iMac on our, or our iPad, uh, which are both under my iCloud account anyway. And yeah, that that's fine. Um, you could also, I mean, and this would do, I mean, you're, what you talked about would do it automatically. You could also just plug her phone in to your Mac uh, occasionally and have it slurp in any photos that, uh, that you don't have of hers. In fact, even if you set this other thing up, I would recommend doing that anyway. I've, I've seen scenarios where even Apple's engines don't always grab everything, especially if you're not using iCloud photo library, if you're just using, you know, uh, photo stream, it doesn't get everything. It certainly doesn't get videos in that scenario, uh, but even some photos I've seen it miss. So it's worth, you know, once a month, at least kind of plugging in and just, just telling it, go get everything that, that you don't have in it. It's usually pretty good at that. And then of course there's power photos for the things that it, the dupes that it screws up. So, uh, thoughts on that, John, before we move on to calendars and contacts. I'm wondering <clears throat> in that case, enabling photo stream may make sense. Um, it, but I'm that just only thinking, syncs to uh, her. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm I, thinking that that's what I do to get photos in my photos app from my sure. phone is typically, yeah, that's how I do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you, do you plug in your phone every now and then and just tell iPhoto or sorry, photos to slurp everything that, that it doesn't already have? Because my guess is you'll find no. things it doesn't have. No, what I do do, 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 um, <laughs> no, I, I, I use the Dropbox feature. So whenever I plug my phone yeah. in Dropbox, of course, has a feature saying, Hey, here's a camera. You want me to put this stuff yeah. in your Dropbox? So, so I do that, but between that and photo stream, I have different copies or right. I have it in multiple locations just right. in case something terrible happens. So, right. so that's, but I thought I'd mention that because that the, the, the you know, photo stream is a potential I, solution for that, I'm depending cu- on how you're set up. I'm curious to hear if you plug your phone in and launch, you know, via USB and launch photos, if uh, it, cause it, it'll, you know, it'll just show you your phone, right. And, and show you anything that it has and hasn't imported and I'm curious how many things it, it that photos doesn't have, because I bet it's a high number. I, I found I've just found it unreliable. So just to, you know, just to make sure. All right. Uh, back to Bill. I think we're on Bill. Bob. Sorry, Bob. Uh, I'm not sure about sharing our calendar. And yeah, these calendars are great because you can share calendars with any other iCloud user. It doesn't even or really any user at all. There's there's ways of doing it. But uh, but certainly with other iCloud users, it's cake. Uh, you just add them to the calendar either as a, uh, a view only or an editor of the calendar where they can obviously add events and move things around. When you set up family sharing 
the uh, that process will create a family calendar that you both have right access to. But you can do it with other calendars, too. You're not just limited to that one family calendar. That's just sort of auto-created. So worth, um, that's worth it. And uh, he says, how do we handle music? I assume she can sync with iTunes on our Mac and create a playlist for her phone. Yeah, if you're doing it via USB, uh, the iCloud account does not matter. You can just sync to whatever phone you want to sync to. So I, I think you're going to be all right. It sounds like you've you've thought through a lot of this stuff, Bob, and uh, and you're sort of being deliberate and intentional about what steps you're taking and what steps you're not taking. And that's really the key is, you know, do it. And then also just back up regularly and don't be afraid to try something that if, if I could ever if I could impart any advice to anyone, like if I could just mainline this advice to everyone that gets a computer for the first time or an iOS device, or even somebody that's had one for a while and doesn't do stuff because you're afraid. My advice is do whatever you want with it. Think about the worst case scenario, right? What's the worst case? Probably. I mean, unless you're going to take the thing and like rinse it in hot soapy water, which with some phones won't even damage it, but I don't recommend it anyway. Uh, Otherwise the worst thing you can do is, is you've got to wipe it and restore from scratch. Well, if you're doing backups of your data, which you're doing, right, then um, get that sorted out first. That's really the only thing. And then, and you know, but even if you don't have that sorted out, iCloud probably has a lot, not all, but a lot of your data uh, sort of already stored uh, just because of the way the syncing all works these days, email and that sort of thing. So I just, you know, my advice is don't be afraid. Try everything. Uh, the worst thing that happens is you got to start from scratch. And you've learned a ton along the way and your next path through is going to be even easier. That's, that's my, that's my advice for the, for the new year. Moving on past John, but moving on past Bob, John, I will, uh, I will bring us to Robin who has, I'm hoping a question that you have an answer for. Uh, yep. Good. Robin writes, I've started a new job and the company is very, very security conscious. I've never had an Apple computer with so much IT junk on it in 27 years of using a Mac. There is no cloud storage of any type or description allowed. All files need to be on my computer or on the company's servers. Nowhere else. I've been using an iPad since the first release for note taking in meetings. And this is causing me all kinds of grief. Now I can use notes because Microsoft Intune integrates notes on iPad with outlook on the Mac but it's a crippled version of notes and notes on Mac outlook are next to useless. I'm desperate to find a notes solution on my iPad that would allow me to copy or sync my notes to my work Mac without going through the cloud. I don't suppose by any chance you have come across a solution. Mr. Braun. Yes. Awesome. Um, how about using Apple notes? Well, okay, but those sync over iCloud. Or do they? Oh, really? <clears throat> All right, so I did a little digging. Okay. So this is actually enabling a feature that in the past has tripped some people up. So when you start up Notes, uh, either on your Mac or on iOS, you're going to see iCloud, and it shows your Notes that stores in iCloud. Wouldn't it be great if you could enable a feature that would allow you to store your Notes locally, Dave? Yeah. Well, you can, but like, can you sync them? Yes. Okay. So yeah, go, go through the process. Yeah. Cause I, I want people to understand well, how to do the on here, my Mac thing. Yeah. Or on so my here's iPhone. the option on both platforms. All yeah. right. So on the first platform, so on the iOS device, 
So if you go to settings, then you're going to see notes. Then you're going to see an option on my iPhone account. Hmm, that sounds like local storage to me, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. So if you choose that, you're going to get a new category. Now, in the past, the reason I mentioned this is that it caused grief for some people because in the past, people would have stuff stored both in the cloud and locally, and yeah. they weren't sure where things were, were stored. So our advice was typically disable the on my Mac account because it's just making your life more difficult. In this case, this is what Robin wants. Right. Wait, is it Robin? I'm sorry. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is what they want. So the thing is, normally that feature is off. And actually, I wasn't even sure if it was still there, but on both. All right. So I told you how to do it on iOS. So if you turn on my my phone account, well, hey, there you go. You see, um, when you go into notes, you're, you're going to see the different... Uh, uh, categories, iCloud, and then now a new on my iPhone category. And if you click there, you can add notes to it. Um, so there are two things. So one, if you want it, the, the path to share that with the computer isn't necessarily entirely clear to me, Dave. So there, there are two options though. Okay. So um, one is that once you make the note uh, on iOS, you could maybe click on the share icon and then maybe use like airdrop. So I'm looking right now. So uh, I just created yeah. a note and I just looked at my computer and it shows up and it says, Oh, John Braun's uh, MacBook pro. Let me uh, share that note. And now I just got a request, receive a note from iPhone. Okay, sure. Um, that's kind of so a roundabout they, way of it, sharing they, it. So iTunes won't do note syncing like it used to do calendar uh, syncing and contact. Syncing I was and all looking that? and I, you know, I honestly couldn't find it. It may be okay. buried in there somewhere. But the one place where I did see it, Dave, was that, so if you do a backup or if you use iMazing, oh, iMazing right. let me see the local notes and then you could drag the local note uh, huh. to your computer. So, so I don't see a direct way to sync it. So one, it, it's yeah. contained in your back. So if you do a backup to the computer and then you, you manipulate that backup with iMazing or another tool, iMazing being, of course, our favorite, um, you'll see that data. That data is included in, in the backup. So you could pull it out of that or you could do, like I said, you could do a wireless, uh, you know, airdrop. Yeah. Uh, sending of it. So, so I'm not entirely thrilled with the path. I thought there was a place in iTunes, but you know, with the UI changing every week, <laughs> not every week, but, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't able, I, I was expecting to find a place where I could pull the note out of my iPhone using iTunes, but I, I couldn't find it. It's not there. So. Okay. Well, and yeah, part see, of that could I mean, be... I, I don't know if I didn't have the right sidebar or the right... Uh, well, it could be that you're already syncing with iCloud and a lot of the iTunes uh, options go away when when right. it sees that you have a phone that's syncing with iCloud. It's like, oh, okay, all right, never mind. The thing I, is, I, I don't wasn't, need to get involved. I wasn't willing, sorry, but I wasn't willing to disable iCloud on my yeah. device to test if I could do a local only mode. I so kind you're, of you're, appreciate you're, that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, dude, it's about me. Right. Well, it's about the listeners, but but it's also about me. Yeah, I mean, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, we, guys. We do, I don't want to destroy my device. Yeah, we take a lot of grief, but not we, all we take of it. one for the team sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes I'm I'm not willing to take that step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This so is you're one. entirely correct that if if you're not on iCloud, which it sounds like that's verboten, yeah. using your devices in this place, right? Um, it's doable, and and they thought enough to leave that feature in the notes platform. It's right. just 
kind of hidden. It's so just hidden. Yeah, that's yeah, my yeah, initial. Yeah. Now, and you know, I did some surfing around, and it seems that there are some third-party apps, though I haven't used them, so I can't endorse them. That will let you do local notes and sure somehow communicate them with the computer. But yeah, I, I don't want to in, endorse, or, or I, I yeah, didn't find I, anything that immediately jumped out at me. Is like, whoa, this is the. All right, well, maybe solution. maybe we'll make it a geek challenge. Anybody out there that uh, that finds anything like this, let us know because we definitely like to. Uh, it's a it you know it's a weird thing. If if we rewound five years, I bet we could have found you know several solutions. In, in uh, I was going to say including Apple's own, but it didn't exist. But you know that did this because the cloud just wasn't as popular as it is now. One thing that I did think of is you know Synology and QNAP for, for the record I mean QNAP's like this other thing that's similar to Synology but has some limitations for the consumer but but otherwise um, if you have a Synology or a QNAP device they have a thing called Note Station which is cloud notes but before you run away because I called it cloud don't call it cloud call it locally synced notes it's you could put a disk station at the company right at your desk and then that is the server with which you are now syncing your notes and you can access. There's no Mac client. There's an awesome uh, notes client, note station client for iOS. I mean, it's freaking killer. Sadly, there's no client for the Mac, but there is a web interface that you could connect to your Synology and do that. So that's one. And while I'm kind of thinking about this on the fly here, the other one is own cloud. You could set up own cloud on your Mac and now everything is only on your Mac. Um, but I am pretty sure own cloud has a notes uh, engine as well. It's certainly got a documents engine. Uh, that's like, you know, its own version of like Google docs or whatever, but I think it's got a notes engine too. So own cloud might be a good option here. Uh, and that's, I don't know that could work. I'm just thinking of uh, being a little out of the box here, you know? All right. Well, I'll give you another one out of the All box. Right, cool. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So um, you could also, I think this may get you in trouble. When you set up an account on your iOS device, um, you know, it'll ask you, uh, you know, who do you want to set up this account with? Sure. Is it, and most of them have some cloud right. <laughs> association. One thing I did notice, Dave, in going to the place where you set up your accounts, where is it here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the accounts section. If I say add account, it'll say, oh, well, iCloud, Exchange, Google, blah, blah, and they're all cloud-based. Um, yeah. But there's another category, and one of them is add a macOS server account. I think uh, you see where I'm going with yeah. this? Yeah. If you set up your own, the, the with... The, I'm yeah, just going to spit I'm, it I'm out here. You. So you could set up your own Mac OS server because what a lot of these, especially for note storage, sure. it's actually an IMAP mail account. I'm not oh, sure if it's for true. iCloud, but for, but for others, because, you know, I actually, here's another thing that I did is I actually enabled the notes capability on some of my internet accounts where I normally don't. Yeah. Like for example, I said, okay, well for Yahoo, which I only use for email really, um, let's enable the notes functionality. Sure. And as soon as I did that little snitch came up and said, um, yeah, I need to get to this IMAP port. Is that right. okay? That's right. IMAP totally supports notes syncing. I don't yeah. know if iCloud uses. I mean, you might lose your job storage. by doing this though. Uh, you, you know, you, you and, probably, probably want to. Right. So yeah. setting up your own server, 
Uh, although you're technically not breaking the rules, is probably going to get somebody upset. The other thing that I'll suggest, Dave, is more of a uh, workplace strategy thing in present your case to right. the powers that be and say, hey, this is something that I'd like to be able to do and not break the rules. Can you help me? Maybe yeah. they could implement a solution like you suggested, you know, a, a, a private note solution. Yep. Yeah. Um, rather than having people, because I, uh, I've i been through this and I think you have been to some extent, or at least when consulting, people are going to find a way to break the rules to get their job done. And right. sometimes they may do it at risk of losing their job. But the thing is, people aren't trying to be evil or well, just trying to be efficient. For the most part, they're yeah. trying to get their job done. And they're like, uh, I mean, yeah. I remember people setting up their own remote connections because they're like, I need to get the computer at work. And IT said, well, no, we don't yeah. allow that. Oh, and it's I, like, okay, well, I'm going to do it anyways. I totally did that <laughs> when I worked for Citibank. I mean, it, they didn't even have a policy against it because it just wasn't a thing. I had to dial in with a modem, right? This wasn't yeah. over the internet, but I did. I just set a modem up on my thing. I had a, a, a line and it was like, all right, I'll just put this here. And I actually used it as a uh, now up to, oh, man, I hadn't thought about this in a long time. I, I had so uh, busy Kyle and sorry, busy Cal and busy contact were if you trace the lineage back and it's messy and f uh, the family tree is forked and it went in different places. And but if you go all the way back, the same guys did now up to date and contact. And I loved it. I loved it because of the user interface, but I also loved it because of its um it had a server, right? This was long before there was cloud stuff. So I could have my calendar app running on my, on my uh, computer at my office in court square at, at Citibank, you know, big, whatever big building there. And, uh, and then that could be my server. And then I could dial in with my home Mac and sync my calendar between the two uh, things. And it was killer. It was, I was like, Oh, this is great. And even once when I quit Citibank, when we moved down to, Austin, um, that server stayed up and running for a good year. And, uh, and it was great. Cause I just had like a place that could store all my calendar stuff. Obviously I kept a backup because I didn't know when it was going to get turned off. And one day it got turned off, you know, go, no surprise, but it took like a year. So yeah, I had this, I mean, I wasn't doing anything nefarious with it. It was, it was my calendar. It wasn't even like a Citibank calendar. It was just my personal stuff. It was like, Hey, I got a server over there. I might as well mm -hmm. use it. Yeah. So anyway. now he also mentions or Robin, he, yeah, I'm not sure. I, th I believe it. Um, I believe it's a he, but we'll, we'll leave it gender unspec unspecific because yeah. uh, we're talking it's about this important. person doing things that, uh, that no one needs to know about. So yeah, we probably shouldn't have even mentioned the name. That's right. That's Ms. right. Ms. X or Mr. That's X. Right. But, um, yes. Now the other thing is it sounds like that they are using Microsoft tools. Yeah. Uh, you could run a VM one or do parallels access if you want to do the iPad thing. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Or try OneNote. So, I mean, maybe your server, maybe your exchange server has the ability to sync with OneNote when OneNote's an awesome service. And an you know awesome app. Funny yeah. Because I mean, I see mention of Microsoft products that I believe are cloud-based, so I'm questioning the statement that there's no cloud storage of any type allowed. I right. Mean, well, no, they, he said the you cloud. can store stuff on the company's server, just not I get in, that, in but, but they're cloud. saying that they're using Maybe it's it sounds to me like they're using some Microsoft tools that have the potential for storing data in the cloud. I mean, I, I they know. do, but most of those tools you can choose to run an exchange server that that kind of becomes your own own cloud, your private cloud, if you will. Most of them. OK. Not all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the theme is. <clears throat> ask 
they may be willing to put a solution in place for you to allow you to get your job done. I think so. Um, yeah. I've, I've seen workplaces sometimes do this. Yeah. They actually do things in the best interest of their employees getting their job yeah. done. Yeah, have the conversation. It, it, it's, yeah. it's shocking sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> But, you know, we've given you some tools here that, that you could actually roll a private server that still allows you to do the work that you want to do. And, and maybe that's all you need. So. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, feedback at MacGeekCab.com is where you can email us anything you like. Questions, tips, cool stuff found, whatever it is. And you know what, Dave? In the new year, there's one thing that's not going to change. What's that? And that's that you're always going to want to send some email to feedback at MacGeekCab.com. That is feedback at MacGeekCab.com unless you are a premium listener. And then you can send stuff into premium at MacGeekCab.com if you want to learn more about supporting us directly with a premium sponsorship or uh, subscription or contribution whatever whatever way makes you the most comfortable uh we would love of course your support if you're able and interested visit macgeekgab.com and you can see all of the options right there uh we really appreciate it any one of you can use 224-888-GEEK to call us text us leave us a voicemail john geek is I think that's going to change. I think it's going to. We're going to change it to four three three five. Naturally, we're going to change it. And you can visit us on Facebook. Go to macgeekup.com/slash/facebook. That will bring you to our great community that just keeps growing leaps and bounds. It's a, a wonderful place to be. It's our home away from home uh, during the week when we're not here recording for you. I want to thank all kinds of people. Uh, of course, I want to thank Smile for having sponsored this episode. I want to thank Fat Cat Software at fatcutsoftware.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Barebones Software at barebones.com. Two new sponsors coming on in 26... 20, I was going to say 2016. In 2017, that's GoDaddy and Blue Apron. Uh, we'll learn a whole lot more about them shortly here. Uh, and I also want to thank our CES 2017 sponsors. We've got some folks helping uh, make sure that we can get all the right people to CES and cover things. Did the music just cut out? Except for the band. I know. We're going to have to put another quarter in the uh, in the jukebox <laughs> there for them. I think I started the music really early, and then you went on, and we started talking about OwnCloud and, and all that stuff, and it just kept going. <laughs> um so we've got some folks helping us sponsor CES, uh, or helping us get to CES, some, some sponsors, and those are Omni, Projects Wizards with Merlin, iMazing, Elgato, and the folks at MacPaw. So thanks very kindly to all five of you. We're looking forward to the coverage that, uh, that we're going to be able to bring to everybody this week. And then you folks are really helping us kind of do that. They don't get any special coverage for it, but they do get special thanks, and that's what we are saying here. And that's all I got, John. I think uh, I think it's uh, it's time to, uh, to tell the band that they can play us out. So we'll let them play us out. John, I have one last thing to say to you. Yeah. Happy New Year, my friend. Do you have anything to say to all of us as the band finishes their first exit of 2017? Um, I don't know. Happy New Year. Thank you. Also, I mean, we're traveling. Yes. Uh, and we're traveling. And the one thing we want to make sure of, Dave, <laughs> it almost happened to me. But while we're traveling here, let's all hope that we don't. <laughs>